Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Thank you, Colin, and thank you, Downtown Hope. It is so good to be with you this morning to open up uh, the Word of God uh, together. I want to I start this morning, actually, by, by having us think a little bit about John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was a rather significant, radical rabbi um, in Israel. People were, were flocking to him to be baptized. He had this ever-growing following of people for quite a while, but then one day, that all began to change. Um, People uh, began to go to the other side of the Jordan. They began to be baptized by Jesus um, instead. And when the the Jewish leaders confronted John the Baptist about this, they expected that that he'd be angry. They expected that he'd be be critical and, and, and combative about this new rabbi. But instead, John surprised them all with his response. He basically says, you've got it all wrong. If you thought that I was in competition with him, you've got it all wrong. I'm just like the rest of you and we all pale in comparison to Jesus. So, so we should just simply rejoice that he is here. And then, and then listen to this. He says this in John chapter three. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love that. He says, my joy is complete. So, so let him, let Jesus increase and I will decrease. John the Baptist found true joy when he, when he humbled himself along with everybody else under the glory of God. And we're gonna see that same thing as we look at Philippians chapter two this morning. Paul says that his joy will be complete uh, when we are humbly united under the glory of God. Friends, that's, that's where we find true joy, not in, not in the glitz and, and the glamour, not in stacks of money or fame or, or winning the victory. True joy is found when we are humbly united under the glory of God. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage from Philippians chapter 2, but before we do, I just want to remind us of the context of the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he's sitting in prison in Rome. And he's writing to this church in Philippi. And that may not mean very much to us, um, but it meant a great deal uh, to Paul. The Philippian church was one that he cared about very deeply. He had founded, he had planted that church and he, he loved them. And now they are beginning to encounter persecution and, and hardship. And, and Paul Paul, who himself is very well acquainted with suffering, is encouraging them to press on, to keep moving, to keep following hard after Jesus, and and ultimately even to find joy in the midst of their hardship. Not the kind of of passing happiness that the world offers, but the, the true joy that we find when we're humbly united under the glory of God. So look at me, look uh, with me, if you would, at Philippians chapter two. We'll start in verse one, Philippians two. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And before we really dig into this passage, I just want to make one thing clear. Paul is not writing this letter to the individual Christians that make up the church in Philippi. He's writing this letter to the the gathered church at Philippi. He's writing it to all of them together. So central to this idea of us pressing on is that we would press on in unity that they would leave no one behind, that they would be encouraging one another, even even carrying each other towards the goal, this this upward call of God, right? And and actually, we would be wrong to even assume that that Paul is pressing on alone either. The, The opening verse of the book of Philippians, he tells us that it's actually a letter from Paul and Timothy, and then, and then at the very closing of the letter, he references this bro- these brothers who are with him. You see, to, to press on, especially to press on in the midst of difficulty, and even more so if we're going to press on with any amount of joy, we have to keep moving, but keep moving together. But, but to press on in, in unity requires something else of us, It requires that that everybody also be walking in humility, right? In our world today, this idea of pressing on through through hardship can conjure up these these visions of sort of personal pride and and glory, right? The person who's who's faced the difficulty, but but when they got there, they they sort of doubled down and they they gritted their teeth and and they made their way through it. And now they deserve the glory, they did it in their strength and, and their strength alone. No help from anybody. They're a self-made man and they owe nobody nothing. But that's not a biblical idea at all. The biblical vision of, of pressing on is centered in humility. It's, it's centered in our need for one another and, and most of all, our, our need for the power of God. But that sort of unity requires humility. And so this is what Paul and Timothy are saying to the the church at Philippi in this letter, that though things are hard, if they will will press on in in humble unity, it will result in them experiencing joy and in God receiving glory. 
You know, we live in a world that is incredibly divided right now. Right? Specifically, we live in a divided country right now. I don't know how many of you watched the, the presidential debate on Tuesday, but you didn't have to watch it for very long to know just how incredibly divided we are as a country. We're divided politically and, and racially and, and economically. I mean, we can't even decide to come together to fight against a global pandemic. We've allowed ourselves to care so much about our side winning and we don't care who gets hurt in the process and whether or not we have any integrity when it's over. And it's no different in the church. Right? We've allowed these outside forces to dictate who we will and who we will not associate, associate with. Right? We've decided that the, the sins of other people are, are worth dividing over, but we seldom repent of our own. We are a divided people and it is robbing us of joy. Let's cut to the root of the issue. Right, the real problem that we have in our, in our world, in our, in our country, in our churches, in our own hearts is a prideful unwillingness to seek to know and love people that we disagree with. And we have exchanged the true joy of Christ for the passing pleasure of feeling superior to those that we deem wrong. I mean, the world gives us a lot of reasons to be divided from one another. It always has. And the church in Philippi is in the same boat that, that we're in. The book of Acts actually tells us that there are three specific converts who start the church in Philippi. One of them is this wealthy, well-traveled businesswoman one of them is a formerly demon-possessed slave girl, and the other was a middle-class government worker. They had a lot of reasons to not get along with one another. But from those seeds springs up this church, and now years later, Paul is writing them this letter, but even in this letter, he has to call people out who are fighting and causing division in the church. We don't really read this verse very often, but if you look at Philippians chapter four, verse two, it says this, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntice to agree in the Lord. Now, and we don't really know what all is going on there, but here's what we do know. This isn't some minor issue because Paul is calling them out by name. This is a disagreement that everybody knows about. And Paul is telling them that it's time for them to solve it. It's time for them to humble themselves and be united in the Lord. And today we need to hear the same thing. Right, so Paul begins by giving us sort of the, the grounds, the, the basis for, for humble unity. Look at, look at verses one and two again. Here's what he says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. All right, so you see what Paul does here? He roots the call to unity in the work of God. He basically says, if Jesus means anything to you, be unified. If you have any connection to the Spirit, be unified. 
If you consider yourself loved by God, comforted by God, be unified. Right? Frankly, Paul says, if you care about me at all, the one who shared the gospel with you, then humble yourself and be unified. Right? Here's what happens. Here's what happens when we begin to think on the, on the work of God, when we begin to consider the love of Christ, when we begin to, to consider the indwelling of the Spirit, we begin to live with humility because we realize that we don't really have very much to be prideful about at all. So he says, remember, remember all that God has done and in humility have the same mind, have the same love, work together in unity. It doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything, you won't, but we find our footing in our agreement on the gospel. The basis for this humble unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like though? What does humble unity actually look like? That's where Paul turns next in verses three and four. Here's what he says. He says, so do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Humility looks like us thinking of others before ourselves and considering them of greater significance. Or, or as Romans 12:10 says, it means to outdo one another in showing honor. Humble unity looks like, it looks like Sean Rausch. In 2017, Sean was a, a senior in high school. He was running in his last ever cross-country meet. He's 200 meters um, from the finish line when his teammate, Blake Lewis, broke his tibia and falls to the ground. And Roush, without, without even thinking twice, puts Lewis on his back and carries him the rest of the way to the finish line, disqualifying himself from the race. And just before he crosses the line, he puts him down and he lets him hop across the finish line in front of him. Here's a quote from Roush afterwards. He said, I just kept telling him, we're a family, we're a team, we're gonna finish this one together. Right? Paul says, count others as more significant than yourself. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Think about those two things. Right? Selfish ambition is all about building up my own kingdom, building my own brand for my own glory. Selfish ambition concerns itself with me and with, and with me only. It sees opportunities when others fail and it seeks to take advantage of their missteps. But humility concerns itself with the well-being of others at the very expense of myself. So whose kingdom are you most concerned with building? Your own? America? Let me tell you, the desire to build any kingdom aside from the kingdom of God is rooted in selfish ambition and it will not lead to true and lasting joy. And conceit. Conceit is this forceful demand that I am always right. It's the, it's the refusal to consider that others who disagree with me might even be reasonable in their disagreement with me. 
And it it just cuts off true relationship either by unending conflict or by a refusal to engage with those who are different than me at all. And instead it just gathers around people, people who look like me, people who think the same as me, people who act the same as me, and it puts on a pretend show of unity, but it will not lead to lasting joy. True joy is found when we are humbly united under the glory of God. And Paul says this sort of humility is grounded in the gospel. He says that it's demonstrated through sacrificially thinking of of others as more significant than ourselves. And, And then just to make sure that we're clear, Paul gives us the example of Christ. So let's read that again, starting in verse five. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." This is our ultimate example of humility. The humility of Christ that not only saw him stepping down from glory and becoming man, but then sees him going to death, even the worst type of death, even death on a cross. And I think think pride becomes so insidious in, in many of our lives because we cling to what we think we are owed. Right, we're so quick to point out what we deserved, what we worked hard for. All right, our education and our, and our experiences and our, and our age and our status and our position, because of them, we deserve to be treated a certain way. We've earned respect. I'm owed honor. And maybe you are. Maybe you do deserve a certain amount of, of respect or, or honor, but, but how much more was Jesus? Right, this passage... This passage sometimes is just too much for me. It says that he's in the the form of God. That is, Jesus himself is God. And all of the honor and the glory and the praise that's due unto God is due unto Jesus. And yet he did not count that status as something to be clung to. Right, as, as something to be used for his own advantage, as something to lord over other people. Instead, he, he emptied himself. He became a servant. Right? We cannot over-exaggerate the rights of Christ, the glory that he deserved, yet he did what we so often refuse to do. He didn't cling to it. He didn't use it for his own advantage. He gave it up. And he became a servant. Why? Why, the, why would he do that? Why would he take on the form of a servant and obediently die a death on the cross? Why? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 explains it this way. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Why did he do it? For, for your sake so that you might be made rich. Why did he die? So that you might find life. 
And, and I just want to pause here because, because I believe that there are people here who do not know Jesus and his love. And I, and I just want you to hear me say this. That Jesus, though he is God, became man. And while there is much to be said about the life that he lived, I want you to hear this, that when he perfectly lived, he then sacrificially died in your place. And, and anyone, and anyone who would repent and believe in Jesus would be saved. That is, that is that you would have a relationship with God. Your sins would be forgiven. They wouldn't be held against you any longer and you could share in this confident hope of heaven. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter how much money you have, your life is impoverished. And if you do, have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter how little money you have, you are rich. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, though, you are called to live like Christ. We're called to practice this, the same sort of humility in, in, in relationship with, with one another, right? There's, there is nothing, there is no one beneath you in the kingdom of God. Our call to humility and unity is not without precedent. In fact, it is the standard pattern of the life of a Christian that's laid out for us in the life of Christ. Humbly sacrificing ourselves, our, our, our standing, our, our claims to glory, our feelings of rightness in order that we could serve and love others. And when, and when we live with that sort of humility, we will become united in Christ and we will find true joy. I just want to show you one final thing from, from our passage here. We've seen, right, we've seen the grounds for this humble unity is, is the gospel and the, and the content of this humble unity is sacrificial love and we've seen that the, the example of humble unity is Christ himself, but what is the outcome? What is the outcome of humble unity? Unity. And, you, and you might say joy, and, you, and you'd be right. I want you to hear this, that, that, that joy is found under the glory of God. This is what, so what Paul says here is the outcome of this sort of humility. It's, it's our joy and it's God's glory. So look at the final three verses. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now there are, there are a lot of things that are happening in these verses, right? Christ is exalted on high, and, and all of creation is bowing down before him and, and confessing him as Lord. But the thing I want you to see the most is that very last line that says this, to the glory of God the Father. I think it's important for us to know that the life of a Christian is all about the glory of God. We, we, like John the Baptist, find the completion of our joy in the fullness of his glory. This, this idea is, is where that famous quote from John Piper comes from where he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's, it's what the Westminster Confession is saying centuries before that. 
When he says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right, so, so we literally are confessing with the followers of Jesus throughout the ages the same thing that John the Baptist said, that, that he must increase and that we must decrease and that in that there is true joy to be found. True joy is found when we are humbly united under the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, truly, Truly, you deserve all glory and and honor and praise. And yet, Lord, we, we confess that we too often pursue our own glory and not yours. So we today, Lord, we, can, we confess with John the Baptist that, that you and your glory must increase and that, and that we and our kingdoms must decrease. Lord, give us Give us humble hearts. Help us to love sacrificially as we have been loved. And Lord, we ask that you, would, that you would unify us around the gospel. Help us to press on together. And Lord, we thank you for this, this reminder in this passage that it gives us of the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you for his death in our place and the salvation that is offered through it. It's in his name we pray. Amen.